Hey, Ram Church. So excited to be starting a brand new chapter this morning called Walking in Freedom. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be discussing, diving into the topic of what it looks like to live free from maybe it's life-controlling habits, maybe it's some, some addictions, or perhaps it's just struggles that, I, that seem to pop up in my life every so often. You know, Jesus said a powerful truth in the New Testament. He said, it's for freedom that I've set you free. And at first glance, you're like, well, obviously, of course, it's for freedom's sake that you would set us free. But after you follow Jesus for a while, you realize, wait a second, Jesus has paid for freedom for me, but maybe I'm not walking in everything that he's paid for. So we're going to take the next three weeks to look at what does it actually mean to embrace, to accept, and then to walk in the freedom that Jesus has already paid for. And there's an incredible story about a place in America called Death Valley that I want to share with you. Death Valley has the hottest recorded temperatures on planet Earth. Um, and just over 56 degrees has been recorded there. And if you've ever seen a photo of it, it is just desolate. Uh, plants aren't growing. It's dirt. The soil looks completely devoid of moisture. But a few years ago, uh, a strange phenomenon happened. Um, the kind of rainfall that Death Valley has in a year, they got in one month. And what happened was what they've called now a super bloom. Now, this place that's completely desolate had this wild amount of rainfall in one month. And then all these flowers started to bloom in a place that looked completely dead and desolate. And I got a quote from one of the park rangers there that manages Death Valley that I want to share with you. It's really great. This is what he says. He says, I've lived in Death Valley for 25 years and I've seen lots of blooms. And I was always very excited until I saw one of these super blooms. He's talking about this event that I am, am, am sharing with you. And he, he says this, and then I suddenly realized there are so many seeds out there just waiting to sprout, just waiting to grow. I had no idea that there was that much out there. And I want to tell you, I feel, I, I feel like I'm speaking to some of you today who are watching. Your life is that way. There's so many seeds in your life and in your heart. Maybe it looks desolate. Maybe there are places in your life you feel like no life is growing there. But I want to tell you what this story shows us is that in the right environment, seeds that you didn't even know were there can all of a sudden start to sprout. Seeds of purpose, seeds of hope, seeds of life, seeds of joy inside of your heart. And I want to tell you this verse is, is one of the things I want to tell you going into this chapter. Psalms 92 Verse 13 says this, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. I want to tell you, there is a place of flourishing available for you. And it's not, it's not always just about changing one detail or another detail of our life or church attendance. No, it's about changing the entire environment where you are planted. Here's another great verse. Psalm 16, cha uh, Psalms chapter 16, verse 11 says, You, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that first part. You make known to me the path of life. I want to tell you, there's a path of life for you. And we're going to talk about some topics in this conversation. We're going into a conversation that I'm having with one of my great friends, Pastor Micah Wood. And we're going to talk about some topics that maybe if you're new to church, you're like, man, I've been waiting for a community that would address some of these topics head on. Or maybe if you've been in church for a while, but you're new to Ramp Church, you go, 
never been a part of a church that would tackle some of these topics, but Mike is going to share his story about an addiction to pornography he had for years. And the way as he started to follow Jesus, he also started to walk in freedom. And so we've never shied away from topics here at Ramp Church that really hit home and hit uh, the bullseye for some of the things uh, uh, maybe you're dealing with right now in life. And whatever the struggle may be, I want to invite you into the next three weeks that we can, we can really set ourselves to go, God, put me in a place of flourishing. Show me what you want to set me free from in my life. But I do want to tell you, this is a good time to buckle up because we don't, we don't pull any punches in this conversation, but I think it's going to be an incredible way for you and I to learn more about what it means to walk in the fullness of freedom that Jesus has paid for. Watch. Welcome to Ramp Church Online. So glad to have you with us. And I have a special guest with me today. Micah, thank you for being with us. Man, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be hanging with you, Joe, and glad to be talking to Ramp Church Manchester. Yes, so Micah, if you're just now meeting him, is the pastor of Ramp Church Hamilton. So it's our, our original location, and I look up to him in so many ways. So I'm so glad. Wow, I look up to you, Joe. Ah, I'm so glad that we get to kind of chat about a topic that Really, I feel like is uh, it's always relevant, mm-hmm. no matter what season of life. But I think in this season, this unique season of lockdown, yeah. it's it's even especially relevant. And we're going. To, Mike is going to share his personal story, some of his own testimony, um, which I've I've heard shared over and over. And then we're going to kind of talk about. We're going to kind of glean from. What does God do in our lives? Mm-hmm. So um, wh- how would you even intro kind of your story and give people kind of an idea on, yeah. on what's to come? Yeah, well, there, there are different ways to look at my story. Number one, there's the specificity of my story that a lot of you watching may identify with okay. because it especially deals with the area of sexual entanglement, yeah. um, sexual experience that is outside of the way that God designed for us to experience our sexuality or use our sexuality. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of people can identify with that through personal experience, especially during this lockdown season where online internet pornography on our phones, you know, that kind of use is just skyrocketed. Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot of application for people specifically in that area. But there's also a, a general application for people um, where even if this particular area is not an area of entanglement, even if this specific area is not really an issue, it still speaks to the larger dynamic of what happens when sin is present in our lives. So there is the specific application of my story, but there's also the general understanding of how does the gospel work in our lives? What does Jesus do in our lives in regard to any sin that we're experiencing? But of course, then there's the specific application as well. You know, one of the things I love about following Jesus, and, uh, you know, if you're new to the Ramp Church community, first of all, very warm welcome. But one of the things I love about the Ramp Church community is that there's a diversity of even spiritual maturity. So there's people that have have really a strong, what they would consider a strong relationship with God. And then there's people that feel like they're brand new to faith. And there's things for all of us to learn from stories like this. But one of the things I love about um, following Jesus and the Bible is that it has something to say to every facet of our lives. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful 
that following Jesus doesn't just apply to things that look religious. Like he tells me that I need to pray, that I need to give money to, to, to people in need or, or things like that. But that when you start to follow Jesus, he, he has a way that I can, that I can live relationally. I can live in relationships with one another, that I can think about my career, that I can think about my finances, that I can think about my sex, the sexual part of my life. And his idea for that is not to bring restrictions, but to lead us into, into flourishing, to, yeah. to, to genuine human flourishing. And I love the idea. To me, the, the real point of even Genesis, and there's more in there than we even have time to go into, but is to show that God has designs and intention mm -hmm. behind the way we're, we're created. And that, that intention, that design is meant to lead us not to a place of bondage, not to mm -hmm. a place of, of living beneath what, what we feel like is on the inside of us, mm -hmm. but that actually through following Jesus, it leads us into greater fulfillment, yeah. greater flourishing in life, and a place where true freedom is found. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's one of the things I love about your story. And really what we're going to investigate today is what does it look like to walk in freedom, mm -hmm. genuine freedom? Yes. And it, even in our own city in Manchester, but anywhere in the West, it's the same right here in Alabama, in, in, in America. The idea of freedom, uh, everybody kind of has their own definition on what true freedom looks like. And so we're gonna dive into that. And I want you to stick around till the end because um, every single person can leave here with a greater understanding on what it means to walk in freedom from the things that are weighing me down. And I think you're gonna find some common ground with Micah's own story. And then I think you're gonna be able to see, wow, what's, what's the path that Jesus has for me to find that place of flourishing and satisfaction and fulfillment. So. Maybe a great place to start is you just kind of fill us in. Yeah. Well, what does your journey look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So growing up, I, I had a very strong God awareness growing up. Okay. So I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents were pastors. You know, my grandparents were pastors. So I had a strong God awareness, and I went to an you know, incredible church where there was not just some sort of just religious teaching, but there was, there was a strong emphasis on the relational elements with God. So I grew up having that foundation as a child. So early childhood, I had that foundation, and we would go to certain Christian camps during the summer where I would, you know, it would deeply enrich my relationship with God in, okay. in really profound ways. So, um, uh, can I interrupt yeah, you? Because already I think you're breaking boxes, mm -hmm. uh, even for me, because our stories look, look quite different. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of people maybe who haven't grown up so churched, I can maybe use that word for your own journey, that would think, well, isn't getting involved in all this, you know, that's just going to fix all my problems. So it's, it's, it's wild to even hear your story and go, no, I was surrounded by all these people that were trying to lead me along a path, mm -hmm. yeah. but still, you know, still there's a part of my journey that, 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 that didn't lead me to freedom and flourishing. Yeah, and, that, and that's, a, that's a great point to bring up because you're right, sometimes we think in the categories of are you, are you a churchgoer kind of person or yeah. are you not? Yeah. And, you know, Jesus came to address a, a deeper fundamental issue and the Apostle Paul articulates it in, in Scripture where he says, all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wow. 
In other words, the, as you mentioned in Genesis, the original design for man, that element of walking in communion with him, walking in, the, in his presence, um, all of us have fallen short of that goal because of sin in our lives. So it's not enough to categorize ourselves as churchgoers or non-churchgoers. It, it, there's a deeper fundamental need that we all have to wrestle with that then brings us to Jesus the Savior. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then the result, the overflow, is we become a part of a community of faith yes. that we call church. Yes. But um, and, and so it does kind of shake up our categories a little bit to say, what's yeah. the deeper need and deficit in my life? It's not clean me up and making me a churchgoer. Yes. It's there's something within me that has has created this separation from the place I'm called to be in this communion with God. Uh, to me, it it levels the playing field. Yes. Uh, I mean, because even in our own minds, we're thinking, ooh, that person, that person is on a rough path or that person is really doing well. But this really, it, it, it normalizes our condition to go, no, I think we're all in the place where no matter what your behavior looks like at this point, mm-hmm. there's something down deep that's that about us, there's a brokenness, there's mm-hmm. a separation, like you said, from God. And this journey of freedom is is not just about conforming to a churchy thing, but it's about meeting that 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 deep, mm-hmm. deep, deep need. Yes. So I love that. I just want to interrupt that, but oh, please, it. please go yes. back to your story. So I grew up with that God awareness, very churched, and again, in, in very healthy church environments as well. It, you know, there was a sense of thriving relationship there. But around the age of 10, 11, right in there, I'll spend the night at a friend's house, and uh, he pulls out a videotape, you know, back then, videotapes. And so he pulls out a videotape that his dad had, uh, and it had different movies on it. We're going to watch a different movie, and when we, pulled it, when we opened it up, there was this uh, pornographic section in there. And so uh, I heard one person explain their first encounter with a pornographic image. And he said it like this, when I saw it, it hooked me, and it hooked me deep. And I think that'd be the best way to describe my experience. It's visually I'd never seen you know, anything like that before. And there was an immediate uh, attachment on like a deep heart level. And it began to consume my thoughts, began to consume not only my thoughts, but it began to dictate my actions. So that was before the days of smartphones and just widespread internet internet access. Now. Yeah, <laughs> and so it wasn't like you know at your fingertips. You but I found ways to access pornography, and so whether that was continuing to spend out with that friend and you know access those videos, or it was magazines and print all that kind of stuff. And then you know when I was about middle school, we got a, a computer in our home with internet access, and then. This addiction, it, you could really call it, it was so strong, you can call it addiction. This addiction to pornography just skyrocketed. Uh, we went through some difficulty in my family, and that's kind of part of my story, but maybe it's a bit of a different angle um, t- than to jump in today. But um, my family went th- through tur- some turbulence, so though my parents had been pastors, you know, now my mom's a single mom, and so there's some elements there that kind of shook my life. But that really didn't shake my faith in God as much as this deeper secret sin that I was entangled with. And so because my mom was a single mom, you know, she was worked an hour away from our house. And so I'd get home from school and for, you know, three hours before she'd get home, just be on the computer feeding 
myself by looking at pornography and you know searching websites and get getting access to everything that I could. And again, because I grew up with that God awareness, the, you know, the guilt of that and the shame of that was really overwhelming. And I made commitment after commitment to God saying, God, you know, I'll never do this again. I, I don't like this in my life. This is not the person I want to be. This is not the person you've called me to be. I know that it's an obstacle to relationship with you. I don't want this in my life. Um, but it just continued. And it was just spiraling out of control where it was really consuming me. And it's like I had this love-hate relationship with it. I don't know how else to describe it. Is I, I hated this thing that had gripped me. Um, but I obviously didn't hate it enough because I loved it enough that that it was consistent in my life. It, I, I couldn't let go of it, and it's like I, it wouldn't let go of me. And so it was this thing of constantly battling with it, constantly struggling with it, feeling the shame and the guilt and the almost just feeling, you know, disgusted with myself every time I would engage with pornography, um, but then also, you know, not finding a way out of it. And so that cycle continued for years, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. You know, it just kept going until it became a very real addiction in my life. Now, with that, along with this sexual addiction, there also came other forms of darkness with it. Okay. That heaviness, that shame, that guilt began, began to weigh on me in a way that I became depressed. I became uh, much more dark in my outlook in life. I became, of course, very disinterested in church. Um, I began to invite other things, whether it was through different music avenues or art, things like that, that sort of surrounded my whole bedroom and my whole mind with, with um, much darker elements of the world. And so I began to idolize people like Kurt Cobain, you know, from the, from the band in the 90s, Nirvana, that had committed suicide. I began to read their biographies, and this, this theme of suicide and suicidal thoughts became attractive to me, and it had a certain kind of odd beauty to it in the whole world of, it's like it all got meshed together, this, this sexuality, this depression, this suicide, this whole world kind of became a world that I was now living in, and it affected me in every area. It affected the way that I dressed. It affected the way that I presented myself. It affected everything about me. And so anyway, I, so I, I lived through these cycles of up and, up, ups and downs, like, you know, God, I hate this stuff, and I want to be done with it, but then just running back to it. And I got to the place where um, I, well, I'll say this. In the early days of this lifestyle, I would, I would cry on my bed at night and ask God to forgive me wow. because I grew up with that awareness of God. Um, but after it con continued for a couple of years, I, I quit asking God for forgiveness because hmm. I thought to myself, I'm, I know I'm just going to go back and do it. Why would I ask him to forgive me? Um, because I know there's no sense of, re of repentance or desire. There's no possibility is my thing. There's no possibility for change. Yep. So why would I ask God to forgive me? for something I know I'm going to continue to do. The, the apology is not sincere, in other words. Yeah, it's like the struggle turned into not a struggle, but a lifestyle. Yes. And that's just a, that's a, transform, a, a transformation there, isn't mm -hmm. it, to accepting this is who I am. Yes. This is my life. This is my normal. Yes. And I think, you know, I think there are probably people watching mm -hmm. who maybe their struggle isn't in the same category like what you opened up saying, but they feel like, they so identify with what once was an occasional struggle mm -hmm. in their life. 
something that they feel like was a hang up mm-hmm. that has now become the lifestyle that maybe they can even see their, their own self separated mm-hmm. from that. Yes. Um, that it's, 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 um, I think it's really helpful to see that that's part of your journey. It was that, that element of hopelessness okay. began to settle in. So th- this is how hopeless I was becoming. So, you know, each summer my mom would send me to a Christian summer camp. And so at this point, this lifestyle of, of sin was so ingrained that I had gone to this Christian summer camp. And the night that I got home, I intentionally watched pornography that night. And it was a statement that I'm not going to even try to believe this can be different. I'm not even going to pretend like the result of that Christian camp is now I'm now I'm changed. I'm just going to go ahead and watch pornography the night that I get home to almost as a as a statement of resignation that this is just the way it's going to be. So so that was spiraling in my life, the 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 sexual addiction, the the depression, the suicidal thoughts, the romanticizing of death, all of that was meshing together. But my mom, you know, growing up, a a strong minister, had been praying for me. And the Lord spoke to her. And um, in the place of prayer, the Holy Spirit impressed on her heart and uh, began to identify the need in my life. Of course, she already saw it, but the Lord spoke to her on a deeper level. And so here's what the Lord said to her, and it it made a lot of sense in her world at that moment, and maybe it'll translate. She said, Uh, The Lord said to her, you know, you're doing an awful lot to make sure your kids are popular in school. But what are you doing to make sure they're spiritual giants? Because she was investing a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy to make sure that we sort of had what we needed to get into the right programs or crowd or friends to be successful. Like all parents feel like they want to do. To be successful in our world. But when the Lord used that language with our spiritual giants, it was... But what are you doing to make sure that they are young men and women of stature okay. in in their faith? Wow. And so, what a challenging question. Yeah, very challenging hear. question. So she began to take assessment and set, and it made her realize even more: my children are in need. Me and I had an older brother, two younger sisters, but you know the emphasis was on me. I need to do something different. So um, we grew. I at that time I was living about thirty minutes from Hamilton, where the ramp is. And so my mom heard, hey, God's doing something with young people over in this city. And so she loaded me up with my sisters against my will. I did not want to go to the service that night. I was frustrated. I was embarrassed, just to be honest, because I had so prioritized popularity that it was like, I hope nobody I know sees me at this meeting. Like, it's one thing to go to, like, church every now and then. Kind of everybody does that in the American South. But to additionally go to, like, this youth Christian thing. That's, that's, that's like not a, a statement you wanted to make. Yeah, that's a different yeah. thing yeah. than just the normal rhythm of church. So, but she takes us that night, and it's this small, small building. It doesn't look impressive, and you know, there's there. It's packed with teenagers though, and so the worship set is going on, and they're singing songs. It's kind of an extended worship set, and I wasn't quite used to that kind of expression. In worship, so I'm standing there. I'm kind of I'm irritated. So I'm like I'm standing up and I'm sitting down for a little bit. And I'll stand up to try to be respectful. Then I sit down because I'm annoyed. And so I'm going through this process. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> while we're there, I'm annoyed, but I also sense God's in the room. 
because I still had a level of sensitivity to that having grown up in church. And not just, again, a, a very dry church, but a church that was thriving. And so I began to sense, wow, God's in the room. I, I sense the presence of God. And I'm resisting it, though, because, again, I've already reached this place of sort of resignation to my lifestyle, this sort of embrace of darkness and hopelessness toward you know, religious things. But I sense that presence of God still dealing with me. All of a sudden, right in the middle of the music, it, it, the music begins to get quieter, and someone grabs the microphone. And it was a lady, and she goes, you know, I believe there's someone in here tonight that is depressed and is suicidal. Wow. But if you're willing to come down to this altar, God wants to set you free. Wow. And, you know, my mind, my mind's thinking that could be anybody in the yeah. room, you know. Yeah. But my heart is like racing. And in my heart, I know she's talking about me. She's talking about me. God spoke to her about you. That God was speaking to her, identifying my need. And again, there's that wrestle between my head and my heart. My head's like, no, this is just whatever. But my heart, you know, it feels like it's about to explode. So I'm in the back of the room and I'm standing beside my mom. And the other reason why I don't want to respond you know, to this cause because my mom's there and I'm embarrassed. I don't really know what I'm dealing You're with. Right. You know, I'm like, eh. So anyway, but I, I just can't hold it back any longer. So I'm, I'm resisting for a few more moments. Then all of a sudden I find myself shoving out of my seat into the aisle and as quickly as I can. It's not quite a run, but it's, it's you know, almost a run. I'm getting down to the altar. And as soon as I come down to the altar space, um, I get down there and I just lift up my hands and, uh, well, before I lifted up my hands, I was wearing a baseball cap at the time. And I was wearing it, you know, it was kind of pulled down over my face, the, the bill of the cap. You know, kind of a way to hide myself yeah. from anybody yes. else's eyes. But when I get down there, I'm not even sure why I did it. I get down to the altar, and I take off that baseball cap, and I take it off, and I throw it on the ground, and I just lift my hands up to the Lord. And looking back in hindsight, I feel like it was just a statement, I'm done hiding. Whoa. I'm, I'm, done, I'm done covering this thing up. Because nobody knew I was dealing with this. So though this was a very pronounced lifestyle, it was all still secret. My mom didn't know. People didn't know. My friends didn't know. It was all, you know. Do you think that was a huge step in the journey, like the step of bringing something into life? Was that essential, in other words? It It was essential because, again, in that moment of wrestling while still resisting, part of it was I don't want my mom to know that this is my reality behind closed doors. Uh, It makes me think of that verse, and I think, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit, but I I just think that's such a powerful part of your story, where the Bible says, confess your sins one to another Mm -hmm. that you may be healed. And in a way, nothing came out of your mouth in in, in the terms of confession, but you're, you're responding to that word was a confession. That's right. And, and you taking that half is you admitting, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this. That's right. That's right. So, yes, my mind is getting turned up on a lot of areas. You know, there's an interesting moment where in the Bible, Samson, he had a specific kind of relationship with God called the Nazarite vow where he wasn't allowed to touch dead things. And it was a statement that I don't don't get entangled with things that are dead because I have a living relationship with God. But there's a moment where a lion dies and he sees some, a honeycomb in the carcass of the lion. It's kind of okay. bizarre. Yeah. But he takes the honey, and he tastes it, and it says this, and he gave it to his parents, and his parents didn't know where it came from. And there's something about that that stood out to me 
that Samson was able to perpetuate his own secret sin because his parents didn't know that it was happening. And so that was true of me that because everything I did was hidden, there was still the ability to perpetuate it. But that moment where I came to the altar, threw the cap down, lifted my hands, it was, it was a public confession that I'm in need of God. I am in a place of entanglement, of addiction. I'm in need of God. So I did. I threw the cap down, lifted my hands. And I don't know how else to explain it other than the moment I lifted my hands, I had a tangible experience with the love of Jesus. And it wasn't a condemning experience, but neither was it a justifying experience that it wasn't like it wasn't like okay. hey don't worry about it you don't have to be upset about that yeah, wow. it was an experience with the love of Jesus that at the same time I was broken over my actions yep. but I was hopeful that this is the moment they're changing wow. and so that mixture of of conviction and brokenness and what the bible refers to as godly sorrow there was a sorrow over my condition and where I had been and what I've been doing. But there was this joy and hopefulness that in this moment, things are changing. And as my hands were up and tears are just rolling down my face, I'm feeling the weight of, of sin, of this pornographic addiction, of depression, of suicidal thoughts. It's like I'm feeling this weight just roll off of my shoulders as I'm just standing and crying in the presence of God. And so that was a major turning point for me. It was a, it was a catalyst type moment to catapult me forward in my walk with God to where, you know, sitting here today, I mean, that was, I don't know, 15, between 15 and 20 years. I'd have to do the exact math. But, yeah. but now sitting here, it's been over 15 years since I've looked at one pornographic image. And, you know, sometimes I share that with people and they're like, how is that possible? Or you're superhuman or... And it's, it's nothing like that. It's just, you know, Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we think about that word indeed almost as an exclamation point. In reality, but no, if you break it down, indeed, in their actions, they're not just free metaphorically. They actually become free in their deeds, yes. in their behavior. Yes. And so what I encountered that night on a deep heart level ultimately manifested on a deed level, on a behavior level, yeah. where it shifted and changed not only my, my internal world of, of depression, suicidal thoughts, but also my external world of, of this, this addiction yeah. is no longer what controls my behavior. Wow. There are just so, so many things I have questions about, about, about your story, and that stick out to me in a massive way. Um, but I love, I think there's one of the things that's undeniable about your story is the way you were, um, in a sense, controlled mm -hmm. by this addiction. That really sticks out to me because I think a lot of times when we think about, especially when it, when it comes to what we would think about is the sexual ethic of Christianity, mm -hmm. it seems so repressive. I mean, it seems like middle ages, like what are you guys like stuck centuries ago? Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that, I mean, we've progressed in society. Mm -hmm. We're free from those kinds of yeah. restrictions. But when I hear your story, I don't hear a story of freedom. That's right. I don't hear you describing, I was discovering this liberation 
sexually. Mm -hmm. I was discovering something that's, that, that just set my heart free mm -hmm. to, to do what I really wanted to do and that it was the religious kind of ideas that made you think that was bad. Mm -hmm. that, that, would, that to me would be a storyline. I think that's, that's very common. Mm -hmm. Would be, well, the reason you felt bad about that is, is, is not because it's in essence bad but because of the religious narrative that, that you mm -hmm. kind of grew up hearing. Mm -hmm. But to me, the thing that's irrefutable is you couldn't say no to it. That's right. Mm -hmm. Like when it, when it came calling, you didn't have a say, which is the opposite of liberation. Mm -hmm. would, is that how you would describe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that kind of how you would describe it? That's, that's exactly how, how I would describe it. In both Jesus and the Apostle Paul both said, he who sins is a slave to sin. Wow. Describing the bondage of the will. So a lot of times the way I, I describe this process or this encounter is like this. Prior to the encounter, my will was a slave to the sexual addiction. Wow. After the encounter, what happened is my will was liberated to choose righteous things. But I couldn't choose the righteous actions prior to the encounter. And so... That's profound. That is a profound is. difference. It's very different. And so what the gospel does is it brings freedom to the human will because prior to... There, and there's a lot of ways to describe it in theological terms, but prior to... Um, the grace of God. The grace of God. Yeah. Prior to the grace of God, the human will is in bondage to sin. Wow. And so what the world calls freedom is actually a, a slavery. Mm. Um, when we are not able to make godly choices, it's because we're not able to make godly choices. Wow. And anything we're not able to do shows an area we're in captivity. So it's amazing. I think of, you know, what, uh, there's a phrase we use all the time at Ramp Church um, that s following Jesus, serving God is not an outside in exercise. It's an inside out exercise that it's not a fake it till you make it. It's not learn how to behave and then you'll 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 walk yourself into believing. It isn't, it isn't even believe the right things. And then you'll find this sense of belonging in God. It actually down deep is discovering this belonging in Jesus. And that, that profound sense of belonging, of being found by God, of being valued and loved by God, mm -hmm. that has such, um, such uh, all-encompassing results that that leads itself to this behavioral change. Mm -hmm. So anything, anything that we're, that we're thinking, oh, this is an external pressure that's causing me to choose a certain sexual ethic, at its core is, is, is anti-Jesus following in a sense. It's, mm -hmm. Jesus has plenty to say about our sexual life because he wants us to lead us to fulfillment. But that's not the starting point. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what I hear about your, that's the amazing thing about your journey. You come to light, you bring some things to light. And if you want to adjust even this storyline a bit, please do. But you bring some things to light Actually, God identifies, mm -hmm. I, I have something for you. That's right. You respond to that, and then you experience the simultaneous love and desire to set you free mm -hmm. 
encounter with God's grace all at the same time. Yes. Is that kind of storyline? Yeah, yeah, it is. And the other thing that's interesting that confirms what you're saying is this. Whenever um, the lady leading the service, her name was Ruth. Okay. When, when she was leading the service and she said, there's someone in here that's depressed, suicidal, you hate your parents. If you come down here, God wants to set you free. She never mentioned the sexual addiction. But the Lord was identifying all the fruit of it. Okay. So it's as though he was saying, I see where this is keeping you, mm-hmm. and I want to set you free. In other words, like you, like you just described, the Lord has a lot to say to us about our sexuality. But that was not a starting point with me. Okay. It was, I love you, and my heart for you is that you would live in something better. Wow. So why don't you come to me, and let's, let's have that conversation. Let's see where this goes. Wow. And so coming to the altar and lifting my hands was a sign of, Lord, whatever it looks like, whatever you want to say about this, yeah. I'm, I'm surrendering it to you. I'm bringing my heart to you. And wherever we go from here, my answer is yes. You know, I want to I want to close in a minute, but be- but before we do, I I know there are people watching who have various struggles, mm-hmm. and maybe the category of their struggle wouldn't be would, they wouldn't describe as this, as a sexual sort of a struggle. And of course, there's a lot of different types of sexual struggles, sexual confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, there's this is your exact specific kind of sexual addiction, um, but there's other kinds of struggles that people have. It could mm-hmm. be a substance abuse of of some sort of a thing. It could be a um, it could be a, a mental battle that they can't seem to break past. It could be an emotional state that they can't seem to shake. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be um, destructive habits that show up in a career that show up in relationships, maybe with a spouse or maybe with a family member. And I want, you know, I really want us to spend some time and maybe even pray over that. Um, So, you know, maybe you could even help kind of host that moment. You know, what what would you even say at this point right here, if for those people that are watching that go, hey, there's something about your story that I... I want to experience. I'm not walking in right now. I want to find freedom. I want to walk in genuine freedom. Yeah. I think I love that, and I would love for us to pray over that. And one of my um, favorite scriptures that, um, that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew is this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There are a lot of different ways to take that scripture and, and digest it. But if you just look at that, at the, at the face value, the poor in spirit, what is that? It's when there's a recognition, I need God. Wow. And part of my story that led me into that hopelessness was that sense of over and over and over again, I had written sort of like motivational things. I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And trying to find secret little ways to overcome or or decrease the, uh, the, you know, the frequency of accessing pornography. There are a lot of different things that I tried to do that was overcoming it in my own strength. Um, and that's that religious element you're talking about. Let me clean my up, myself up to be a better person. But what caused a moment of deep transformation was just a full recognition, I need God. Wow. I am poor in spirit. I cannot overcome on my own. Wow. 
And in that place of, again, confession, I need God, that's what then gave me access to the kingdom of God, to Jesus as Savior. So, you know, whatever that cyclical thing is that you're facing, whatever that, you know, whatever form sin is manifesting in your life or addiction is manifesting in your life, those destructive patterns, I think a major key is just confessing that need for God to say, I'm poor in spirit in this area, and um, I'm not going to trust myself to get disentangled. I'm not going to trust myself to overcome. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, and I'm going to bring my heart to him in full surrender. And when you don't know what to say, you can just say, God, I need you. (laughs) God, I need you in this area. And the Bible tells us that God is attracted to that kind of brokenness of heart. That kind of confession of need, God's attracted to that. So is it all right if we jump in and pray? Oh, I would love that. Over that? I want to invite you right where you are to pray and just allow your heart to express itself to God as I agree with you and just kind of pray over you in this moment. So Lord, I thank you that each person watching this, Lord, um, as they're hearing my story, I ask that they would hear not only my story but their own story. Lord, which is the story of, of each of us. It's the story of humanity the story of our need for God. And Lord, I ask that whoever's watching this that has battled that hopelessness, that it would not drive them away from you in anger, but Lord, that hopelessness would actually be a tool that brings them to you in need, that that hopelessness would be a tool that brings them to you in desire, that brings them to you, Lord, in brokenness, that says, I've tried it on my own, I've gone through the cycles of ups and downs, and I can't get rid of this. Lord, I am calling on your name. And Father, I thank you for your promise that is found in the Bible, in the book of Joel, where it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be rescued. And so, Father, we ask for that rescue right now for that freedom right now, for that deliverance right now, for that tangible encounter with your love that changes everything. Jesus, your name changes everything. So I agree with every single person watching that the reality of your name is known. Lord, the power of your name is known. As we call on you, we simply say, Jesus, We need you, and we know that you are moved by that simple prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm so glad you chose to spend these past few moments with us. Thank you. Thank you, Micah, for being transparent, sharing your story. And I've seen so many people's lives impacted by that exact story you just heard, and I want to encourage you. Respond, respond, go to God. This is not something you can do on your own. But I also want to encourage you, stay connected right here at Ramp Church. We're gonna have some other material coming out that specifically helps you walk in the fullness of freedom. And there's so much more than we can even really even cover in one segment. So stay connected, you are...